Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes. My name is Iman, and I'm joined today by Sidra and Noor. What's up, guys? You know, just out here living my not-so-best life, but... And do you really want to know? I don't want to tell you. Do I really want to (laughs) know? We've seen some things, man. (laughs) I am traumatized. Yo, how rough... How rough was that game? It was exhausting. I felt like there, there was, like two or three glimpses of hope but like throughout the entire thing like they just seemed so unorganized and like something was off and it was just a hot mess all around so can I ask were you nervous heading into the game yeah yeah I wasn't nervous really I feel like whenever we play the Celtics the Celtics become the Raptors and we become like the Cavs (laughs) like it's it's just Something always happens, and it's always like... You mean mean like the 2019-2020 Cavs, not any of the years that they crushed the Raptors? No, no, not the LeBron two years. The Raptors and the Cavs in the playoffs is like a great... yeah. Not the the LeBron two years. I wasn't nervous, and and not so much that I thought that the Raptors would win. I actually thought that this was going to be an L. First, it's an early start. Second of all, it's a game one. We know how the Raptors do with early starts. We know how they do with, with game ones. It's just like, I don't know if it's about winning a championship. I don't know if it's because everything that's happening in the NBA world and the world in general. But I was just like, all right, they're playing a game and they might win. They might lose. Who cares? I um, I really thought we were going to win. But I think that like stupidly before every single game, because I'm just like cocky about the Raptors, like after a championship, I'm like, whatever, we're fine. We're the champs. We'll figure it out. They have championship experience, but clearly not today. <laughs> There's something happening. <laughs> It was just wild to see. Very not disappointing. I don't want to use that word, but it was interesting. So this is like the third blowout against a third blowout loss to the Celtics. The first being on Christmas. I happened to be at that game. It scarred. I want it like scrubbed and brushed away from my memory. The second, of course, being uh, the bubble game, the one loss that the Raptors had in the bubble. And then now in the playoffs, do you think that the Raptors are do you think that they're the Toronto Rap Toast in this series? <laughs> Get that? Toast? There you I'm go. I'm pretty upset at you for that one. Iman, thank you for the laugh that we all needed. But, like, at our expense, anyway. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, I feel like, and I, I feel like, and I feel like a lot of people agree with this, that it was really hard to, it was the, that first quarter. And once that first quarter passed, it was really hard to come out of it. We were in foul trouble. Our threes weren't going in. We weren't shooting. And the Celtics were just going off. So it was really hard to come out of that first quarter. So 
I don't know. I think we're, I think in game two, it'll be better, but that first quarter was just an L for us. It was, yeah, it was horrible. We ended up with like 11 fouls by the end of it. And I know that you can't blame the refs for everything because a hundred percent, the Raptors were missing open shots. Like it was, it's always with Siakam. Like he's always going in for a layup or just doing a little like alley-oop or whatever. And the ball always like balances out every single time. Like he just, he's, he's just missing that mark. I don't know about you. I blame Ed Malloy for everything in my life. Uh, You said that we can't blame the refs. I blame Ed Malloy for everything. My debt is his fault. (laughs) My acne is his fault. Like just anything in life can be blamed on Ed Malloy. But, but you, you made a good sort of point there. The Raptors had 11 fouls in the first quarter. They only had eight made field goals. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Like put that into perspective. And I think something about Pascal Siakam, and you mentioned that too with like the Miss Bunnies there, is that he's a player who really gets in his head. Yeah. And I don't know that we could have said that from like rookie Siakam or second year Siakam where it kind of felt like he didn't know enough to to be bad, right? Like he would just like go out there and play his heart yeah. out and it was all energy. And it, it seemed like everything kind of rolled off his back. But I guess now with the larger role we're really seeing that way mm-hmm. on him and he gets in his head. And if he's struggling to start the game, you can kind of just chalk it up to a bad Siakam game. It's really hard to rely on him to actually turn it on later on in the, in, in the game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And also, like, the prior years when he was first starting, like, his rookie years, there wasn't that much expectation on him. Mm-hmm. Now there's, like, a whole country just looking for Siakam and looking for that superstar. Like, we ride for Siakam. And I think that's a lot of pressure on someone. And for someone who ha- had been playing basketball, what, seven years before he came to the NBA, mm-hmm. they, he has so much potential and he has so much growth. And I think sometimes, I, I think he does get into his head a lot, but I also think like a lot of that pressure might be a little daunting for someone. I know for me, like mm-hmm. if I was in his shoes, that pressure is terrifying. I mean, I know that he can overcome it, but I just think that pressure is a lot for sure. I, I know, I agree. I feel like, it's it's more about like what we expect of him as fans. We want another championship so bad. We want to prove everybody else so bad that mm-hmm. like we don't need Kawhi. We can do everything on our own. That we forget that this is literally his first year in that role. This is this is his first time being the yeah. being the guy that we turn to, that we rely on, that is getting put up in conversations about who's better than this guy or that guy. Like this is literally his first year doing this. And as much as it, it would be amazing to win the championship again this year, but if that means we get to keep Siakam and see another leap in him that we know he's able to do because he always comes back perfecting whatever he wasn't able to achieve the season before, then yeah, it would suck losing this year, but that makes next year even more exciting. Yeah, for sure. And I think you sort of raised a good point in, in comparisons. And I guess I'd ask you guys, heading into the series, and maybe not even heading into the series, I think I think Jason Tatum's trajectory kind of just started to fly. Even in this year, uh, the bubble, he's just been so good. But heading into the series, there was a lot of talk about, is Jason Tatum the best player or can Pascal Siakam be that guy? And I guess I'll ask you guys, do you think that there's hope that Pascal Siakam can look like the best player in the series? Or do you think the Celtics just have that guy and that's it? I think as Raptors fans, we kind of underestimate Tatum for sure. And mm-hmm. I think Pascal definitely has the opportunity. I just think he needs to get out of his head. Like short and sweet, he needs to get out of his head. He's more than capable. We've seen him carry us through like games. He has that opportunity. He needs to get out of his head. He needs to trust himself. And 
I know there's a lot of stuff going on, so I am I'm assuming that also plays a role in what's happening with him. But he's more than capable. He has the ability to be an all star. He just he is an all star. Yeah, he just needs to show us. Yeah, I think maybe not this series. Maybe this series, Jason Tatum might be better. He might be. He may, we might have like an inch over Pascal. But I think give it next year. It, it's Pascal. Do you think that Pascal is then clearly the second best player in this series? Yeah. Sidra's so shaking her head no and Noor's nodding her head yes just for everyone. I don't know if I could say that right now. Yeah. I think sometimes Pascal forgets that he's like, what is he, 6'9 with like a 7 foot plus <laughs> wingspan? I think sometimes yeah. he, he thinks he's a guard and like he's just this like little guy on the court. He has the ability to like wreck players and to body people in the paint. He has that yeah. ability. And, we, and we've seen him do it. We've seen him do it so many times, so he he can do it. And I just, I think he has so much potential. And maybe game two, or maybe this game, seeing, I'm sure he'll go on social media and see what people are saying. And I, I hope not. Pascal, stay off social media. I hope he does. Like you know, it's in, inevitable that he's going to though. He's young. Yeah, they all he are. He has social media. He uses it. They're all gonna go on, and they're gonna see. And I, I hope that he sees that. Like people, like I hope this just encourages him to be better, and I hope that he sees that like people are still riding for him. Yeah, that we know that he's able to do it. What do you think, Nur, um, Iman? Do I think that he can be the second best player in the series? Yeah. I I think that he can be. I'm just gonna say I don't I don't think that we've seen. It. I think in order to be the clear second best player in the series, what we need is consistency, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that we're we're ready to get that from Pascal Siakam. And I think he's being a little bit too passive. Like you said, he doesn't recognize that he's a six nine forward with a seven three wingspan. Like hello Siakam, yeah. and I definitely think he gets in his head too much. So I don't know. I don't know that. But I also don't know that he needs to be in order for the Raptors to win, which might sound like a a huge stretch to people listening. But I think that the Raptors can just collectively be good enough in order for, in order to beat this team. And here's the thing. There are lots of other sort of people we can sort of point blame to if we're going to blame anyone for this game. We can talk about three-point shooting. A lot of guys settled. Not a lot of guys hit them. This was one of the Raptors' worst three-point shooting games. I think it's the fifth worst game uh, this season. And... So part of that is going to be on, for one, the bigs need to be better yeah. offensively. And that includes Pascal Siakam, but Serge Ibaka came off the bench and hit back-to-back threes and looked really good to start and then got a little bit too comfortable with that three-point shot. Oh, absolutely. And Marcus Gasol, Marcus Gasol cannot hit anything, and I think in order for the Raptors to win this series, we're going to need better offensive production from our bigs. Do you guys yeah. agree, or do you think we should be looking elsewhere in terms of what ailed the Raptors today? I think I definitely agree with that. To start the second quarter, they we started with like a pretty big lineup. We had TD, Mark, Kyle, Norm and Serge and oh I love that we were playing well defensively and we started the quarter off with like a 7-0 run and then Mm -hmm. after that it just the bigs just kind of stopped performing and it was like that was that glimpse or glimmer of hope and then it kind of disappeared and the bigs well like you said Serge got really comfortable and he's like well if I made this three I can make the next one it's like (laughs) Serge relax (laughs) it also seemed like he started to get gas yeah it seemed like he was tired and it seemed like lots of them were tired it felt like the nets maybe didn't prepare them for what a playoff series was like because it did not seem like they were playing with any sort of playoff intensity the nets didn't prepare them for shit (laughs) (laughs) they look like the nets out there uh they, they, no, they, 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 they were just they they really 
were. They were just throwing up a bunch of three-point shots. It really did kind of feel like you're the Nets. And I, I think that's going to be the Raptors' issue moving forward is this half-court offense. Yeah. And we've been talking about it for so long. How do they produce in the half-court? The Celtics are just too good defensively. And the Raptors could not get anything. This is going to be a really tough series for Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry to score in, I think. You're going to... You know what? I take back what I said earlier. Siakam needs to be the second best player in the series. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, he do you guys think be like we need... Do you guys think in this series a, a team needs to have a better player in order to win? Like they need to have a superstar for this one? Or can we rely on the Raptors like um, cohesive unit and ball movement and everything? Because I feel like... That also matches up so well with the Boston Celtics. That's exactly what they do, too. They move the ball around. Mm -hmm. They're very cohesive. They're kind of like a unit. Um, and how do you disrupt that? But they still have Jason Tatum. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's I like, think, he's part of their I think, unit. I think, I think you raised a good point. I, I think... He's like a bigger... For player, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've always said that, like, you know, in past Raptors sort of Celtics years where they never really met, to me, it seemed like that was going to be a big series for DeMar DeRozan. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, what, DeMar? But... I think having a guy, and the Raptors lack, I'm not going to say DeMar, they lack a DeMar DeRozan on the offensive end, right? And it, you can't really, you know, deploy a DeMar DeRozan in the series just because of what he takes away from you on the defensive end. But the Raptors scored in this game in ISO situations. Like, that's where they got some baskets. And it's clear that they need that Kawhi Leonard. I mean, like Kawhi Leonard is a DeMar DeRozan with good defense and better three-point shooting. He's just sort of like the, you know... Charmander versus Charizard, right? Like that's what we're kind of looking at there with the two. But like that's kind of, but that's kind of what the Raptors need, right? Like they need that guy, and they don't have that with Kawhi Leonard. And looking at the Celtics series because of how good their perimeter defense is, you kind of need that guy. The Raptors. Here's the thing about forget their perimeter defense. The Celtics transition defense was insane. It felt like every single, like, the Raptors got turnovers, and how the Raptors were able to score is by capitalizing off of those turnovers, getting over, getting, um, you know, running the ball, and, like, that's, like, <laughs> getting back in transition. I'm, I'm mixing up my words because I'm just so frustrated by this game, but basically, that's how the Raptors are able to score, by capitalizing off of the other team's mistakes. And the Celtics get back so quick. I'm like, every single live ball turnover, it felt like there were four Celtics at the other end, <laughs> like, ahead of the ball. And you're like, well, how's anyone supposed to score when you guys get back so quickly? Slow down a little bit. Also, like... <laughs> 100% agree and I feel like our team was also being lazy when we got that fast break to come back like do you remember mm -hmm. when Lowry stole the ball and he got on a fast break and he looked to pass to someone in transition and no one There's was no one there. there and it like it went back to the Celtics mm -hmm. and we're just like what like why is everybody still on the <laughs> other other side of the court yo that pass he looked around and I'm like first of all look around before you throw Absolutely. that pass <laughs> but literally why were there four Celtics players near him and where the hell were the Raptors they weren't and even in the like the the TV screen you couldn't even see the them. shot you weren't they were in the, not in the frame well, yeah they weren't in the frame yeah they were not where the there hell were they? <laughs> <laughs> I was literally like that play was like I don't know how to describe it. That play is depressing. how I feel like the whole game went. It was just depressing. Nobody was relying on anyone. It was a Kyle Lowry versus everyone situation. He came in and I think, okay, so if we're going to sort of take any solos in this game, one of them is my guy, Kyle Lowry, look good. Um, I think he was like a plus seven at one point, despite the Raptors like being, I, I don't know what he finished with. We didn't even mention the Raptors ended up I think up it was a minus game. five. Yeah, I think by the end, but that was like yeah. the fourth quarter when it was just like, you know, shoot. it was done. They were done for so basically, the Raptors lost because we didn't mention this. 
94 to 112. Uh, you know, just to throw that out there in case anyone's listening to this that didn't watch the game, which I can't imagine. But they lost by 16 points in the first quarter. So I guess I'll ask you guys. The second, third, and fourth quarter were competitive quarters. Just in terms of, like, you know, the Raptors, I think, won the third quarter, lost the, the, the first sorry, the second and the fourth. The fourth, of course, was garbage time minutes and that doesn't necessarily count. But do you guys think that that sort of bodes well for the Raptors, that it was just the first quarter that really did them in and they were managed to keep it competitive moving forward? I think if the refs, like, just shut up for a second, we're fine. That's that's all we need. Like, the fact that we had 11 whistles in the first quarter, I know that you can't blame the loss on the refs. It's not entirely on the refs, but when you are in the first quarter and you're seeing like your stars get fouled out, like just being being called foul after foul, their mentality, I feel like be playing the game, your your aggression kind of goes down because now you're worried about, okay, what if I go too hard? I I get called for a foul again. So you, the way that you should be aggressive that kind of diminishes because you're just worried about like, okay, what if I got fouled up for this? What if I, what if I do this for that? So I think that kind of just changed the dynamic of the game. And it just, it just made us feel like shit throughout the entire thing afterwards. Like it just, it felt like impossible to catch up. I agree. Absolutely. And especially with Kyle and Pascal, they had both had three fouls by the, by the second quarter. Mm -hmm. And when you're someone like Kyle and you, see that you have three fouls, you're not going to take that charge. You're going to think twice about taking that charge under the net. You're, you're, everything you're doing, even Pascal, everything you, you're doing, you're going to be a little bit more careful. So at the end of the day, El, Ed Malloy like, ruined my life, and he looks like a hot dog. And if you want to come to Mississauga and fight me, like, I live in Churchill Meadows, so step up. He looks like that eyebrow actor. I know exactly who you I mean. I hate his dumbass um, haircut. I'm just going to put that out there. What oh, is that I haircut? Too. That haircut makes me uncomfortable. Wow. How much gel do you think he goes I through daily? probably four bottles. Like, I don't like, know. More than DJ Polly right? D. <laughs> you think when he came to the a bubble, it was just like a full gel, suitcase yeah. worth of like yep. gel? All I'm saying is if I saw that haircut walking down the street, I would walk the other way. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't <laughs> like it. It's a scary haircut. Uh, it's like Dracula in the morning. Uh, so, okay, I would counter. What? It's like Dracula in the morning. Who has posture that straight? He just walks around like a 180 degree angle like he's a stick. He walks around and runs around like that. Like, it's like what are you doing? Oh, why did I make that sound? <laughs> That's a, we hit you. I, I would counter with... Not to defend Ed Malloy, because like I said, I, I despise this man uh, more than any other rep. When people talk about Tony Brothers and Mark Davis, I'm like, Ed Malloy. <laughs> Ed Malloy is where our... Where our hope goes to die. As Raptor fans, at least, our, our vitriol should should be directed to. But, you know, I would... Not to, not to defend him, but I would also say that, like... The Celtics were more aggressive to start the game. And, like, the Raptors were sloppy. Oh, yeah. And, yes, like, I don't think... You're a championship team. This shouldn't be chalked up to, like, a 1 p.m. start. Or, you know, playing the Nets in the first round. We can make all of these excuses, but the Raptors did not deserve oh, to win this not. game. They were... They, and they settled way too much. 43s, when you're not making any, you're, you're not going to come back into the game that way. And I, I do think that the Raptors are, are probably going to get a little three-point heavy and happy, I should say. Because it's going to be so hard to score on this team in the middle. They just, their defense is just too good and they're not getting great looks. The Celtics are a really good defensive team. I, the Celtics are really good. Yeah, they're so good. Which is so unfortunate to say. Do you, guys so see, do you guys think we see Pascal can, at the five next game? 
Oh, like the raptors just going small? I, definitely. I think I think the thing about Nick Nurse is like we're going to see everything. Yeah. Like he is going to be in his bag this series. I'm sure he's like looking at this and being like, I can do anything with this roster. And that's kind of the He's gonna be that gif with like the thing in the background and he's like going like that and pointing at everything. Yeah, like chalkboard. the chalkboard. Oh, his like mind is yeah. Evil genius. Yeah, hundred percent. Like he's got a million math equations in his mind right now. But but I definitely think this is gonna be a really good coaching battle and probably the toughest one we'll see Nick Nurse in. And I, you know, will whisper that I think that Brett Brown and Nick Nurse last year was a lot tougher than people give Brett Brown credit for and he probably won that one. The Raptors just had Kawhi Leonard, which was the difference. But this will be a really fun one to watch. Enough about this game or do we want to talk more? I don't care about this game. I never want to speak about it again, to be honest with you. Can we just pretend that game two is game one? Like, can we just forget that yeah. this game happened? Like, the next podcast we're going to do, we're going to be like, game one went really well, and yeah. the Raptors won. Okay. Yeah, and then when the Raptors win those four. But I don't know about you guys, but I th- I'm, like, looking at therapy right now. I, I can't do this. This was <laughs> such a bad game. I literally <laughs> have my massager right here. I know. <laughs> Listen, Nora, no, I'll tell you, defending champs. Defending champs. The Toronto Raptors are still the defending champs. I know. Okay, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Longest ones, by the way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know what? They're gonna they're gonna do beat. It, it's still there. It's still there. I don't think that this is a fraudulent team, like everyone is saying. I just think that the Celtics are good. Um, and you know, because we're Raptor fans, we like to shit on the Celtics, but they're they're good. That's the fan base we don't like. Celtics, but I know. Yeah, yeah. The fan base yeah. can go. Some people are great. HG double hockey sticks. <laughs> Some people. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a little generous. I'm kidding. I'm sure there are lovely Celtics fans out there. But at the end of the day, guys, like, we knew this was going to be the series to watch. Like, this really is the Eastern Conference Finals to me in my Is eyes. it, though, Sidra? This was the series to watch. It might be the Finals. I think so. Right now? Right now, I'd rather, like, not have... I'd rather basketball not be. exist right now. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> but, all right, all right. I think this is like enough. I know, I guess so. But, but I don't want it to be like the series, like if we lose. I want it to be the series if we win. But if we lose, then this never, then it sucks. Never counted. Well, they better make sure they're not going 10 for 40 at the three. <laughs> if they lose, I am the biggest, I'm the biggest Chris Middleton fan <laughs> if the Raptors end up losing the series. Like, I'm just going to celebrate the Milwaukee Bucks so hard and so strong that the Raptors end up losing the series. You heard it here first, folks. Iman actually loves Chris Middleton. I love Chris Middleton. She was just playing hard to get. Only if the Raptors lose, which I don't, which I don't, <laughs> which I don't believe they will. So it's still bleh, Chris Middleton. All right. Um, so let's actually move on to, uh, you know, speaking about the Milwaukee Bucks and loving the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's move on to our dishes segment. And for those of you guys who are unfamiliar, this is when we dish about NBA news, the happenings within the NBA. And it has been incredibly eventful, I think you can say. Week, two weeks, a uh, couple of weeks in the NBA. And in the WNBA, we, we of course, want to be highlighting both these leagues for a strike. Are we calling yes. it a strike as opposed to a boycott because it is yeah. people withholding work? A protest, if you will. Like I think that's probably the best word as well. Where the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to go out on the court. I'm going to ask you guys, before we get into all of this, where were you guys when all of that was happening? I don't even remember. That's how crazy it was. Like, I honestly, if I think back on it, I have no, I also have very <laughs> bad short-term memory, but I really don't remember. I think I might have been, like, 
maybe in in like my living room but I really don't I I wouldn't be able to tell you I was just on Twitter as I always am um (laughs) but I was just like what like they're not coming out this is this is insane like this is history we're watching history being made wild and it was it was like there's so many emotions going in my like I, I was going through so many emotions that I was just like wow this is like incredibly powerful we're seeing people take their power recognize what type of power they have and use it and how terrifying it is to do that on on a world stage mm-hmm. like they didn't care about the backlash they didn't care about anything they're like you know what this means something to me the black lives matter mo- movement needs our support and we're going to do this and i love the milwaukee bucks <laughs> i won't <laughs> slander them yeah i was uh, i was happy to, like i was wanting to see the milwaukee bucks take the first stand and do the first boycott because the incident happened in their state so i thought that would make like the best statement to show their solidarity and especially like knowing that the owners are in Milwaukee so they can reach out to certain senators and legislators and everything else. But I wasn't, I think I was like, again, same thing on Twitter. And I did, I wasn't sure if it was just the Milwaukee Bucks who hadn't um, come on the court or like both Orlando Magic and, um, and Milwaukee were like, no, we're not coming. And then afterwards I read that the Milwaukee Bucks actually for- forfeited and Orlando Magic like didn't take their forfeit. They were like, no, we don't take it. So it just canceled out. But yeah, like Sidra said, it was amazing. It was, it was, you were watching history in front of you. Mm -hmm. Like this year has been so historic. It really has been. It really has been. And I'm incredibly proud of the playoffs. I I mean, playoffs of the players. I was at work. I mean, I was, I was working from home, but I had my phone in front of me and I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? And I just kept like doing work, going back to my phone and being like, what is happening? Like this league is... So, I mean, I'm, like, so incredibly proud of the playoff players, but, like, also, I keep calling them the playoffs. But also just, like, the dramatics and just not saying anything to anyone and then just not showing up on the court, I just thought was so powerful in its statement. I think it goes to show how fed up these players are. I heard someone refer to the strike as a collective bereavement, which I really enjoyed because I think it goes to show that, like, players are hurting. Like we're we're looking at this as like what is your plan, guys? Like what what is your what is your next steps? And it's like sometimes this is about this is a reaction that they're having to watching someone look like them be shot or killed by the police again and no justice being served. And they couldn't find it within themselves to play. They couldn't find it within themselves to perform in that moment and they didn't. And that's so incredibly powerful to think about. And I've been hearing people like, okay, I, I'll ask you guys. And I've, I've talked about this a little bit, but like people who are like, well, it must be nice. Jared Kushner said that where it was like, must be nice to be able to just take a day off of work. And it's like, cool. Jared stop. Kushner was born in nepotism. He wants to talk <laughs> about that. You were born in nepotism. The only reason you have a job. <laughs> it must be nice to not work for my entire life and be given every opportunity. The only reason he has a job is because of his uh, yeah. wife's dad. And God, by the I'm way, crying. you're not very good at your job, Jared Kushner. Why don't you just check yourself first? You- <laughs> I'll stop all in the head. But who the hell are you to talk about what these men who are in that community and how they're protesting? They can do whatever the hell they want. They can play. They can't play. It's up to them. It's not up to us to yep. decide what they're allowed to do. They are the ones being affected. We Preach. have to support them in that. Mic drop. 
You can't just keep... Who the hell is Jared Kushner? Do- Get out of my face, bro. I swear to God. Sidra, you're so angry that your face looks like you're the your curtain right now behind you that's red. I'm red. <laughs> yeah, you're Jared literally Kushner so red. my blood. <laughs> Who are you? You privilege... You privilege you can, you like can swear. Just white like, dude. Who the myself? hell are you? <laughs> I, I love that rant. I want to... I want to turn that over to people in the comment section who do this because it's like the same ones who will defend capitalism and their boss's ability to exploit them to the very end will then talk about, well, must be nice to be able to take a day off work. Like, okay, so are you telling me that people, like, they're NBA players. These are the top 200 best at their job in the entire world. Mm -hmm. They have worked to get to a point where they have this leverage and they've made the connections that they make. Of course they have more leverage and more power than you who suck at your job and I'm sure no one likes you and doesn't mind you taking a day off there. Like, I don't understand how people are comparing themselves to LeBron James (laughs) or comparing themselves to Giannis, like, or comparing themselves to George Hill. Like, I'm sorry, you're not that at your job, so you don't have the power, the privilege, and the leverage that they hold. So yeah, you boycotting, no one's gonna notice, no one's gonna care, it's probably gonna count as a sick day if America has those. I don't know. But, um, like, not on the Ellen show. Not on the, oh, Jesus Christ. They were like, hey, Ellen, Ellen uh, employees now get benefits. They're allowed to be sick on the job. They get five days off <laughs> when they're sick. Okay. Jackpot. Sign me up, Ellen. Ah, it's so frustrating. But the, I think the one thing we've learned, and we've always known this, like, the one thing we know as like people in the GTA don't read CP24 comments, but this goes as don't read the comment section. It, and it is the hardest thing to do, but don't read. And if you're reading, don't interact because that's what they're looking for. They're trying to make people angry. They know they're saying the wrong things and they know that people are being murdered on the street. And for some reason they still want to get some retweets and likes and aggression out of people. Like how pathetic are you? The mental gymnastics that, that people like the, the hoops that they jump through, the mental gymnastics that they have to defend murder is absolutely insane to me. And we, we've heard players actually talk about this. Fred Van Vliet was talking about this and he mentioned reading those and it acts as a sort of gaslighting effect where you start to question yourself. Absolutely. And and I, I will say this, like to anyone who, who reads or watches videos of people being murdered, Breonna Taylor reading the story of her being killed as she's sleeping, Tamir Rice watching a shooting of a 12-year-old kid playing with a toy, watching the shooting of Jacob Blake, watching a man kneel on another man's neck until he until the life is literally drawn right out of him if you watch those videos and you're defending their murder you're evil point blank period i don't even care like you clearly lack humanity if you can watch that and not feel any sort of empathy or sympathy for them that is there there's something deep within you that i think you need to address and that goes to anyone who jumps to defending the murder or the maiming of these people. And he, like the excuses that they come up with. Oh well they didn't they didn't um adhere like they weren't following the rules, they weren't adhering to whatever rules, or they were resisting arrest, or they had this criminal background, or they were a twelve year old boy playing in a park and didn't have a chance to do anything, or they were sleeping in their bed and didn't have the chance to do anything. They'll find any excuse or any reason 
that is not justification for murder. I'm sorry, you not listening to some to someone's request is not justification for murder. You arguing with the police officers, we're seeing videos of white people continuously doing that, and I'm not saying those people need to be assaulted or killed or murdered or anything like that. I'm saying everyone should be treated with respect and no one should die for that. I don't care what you do. If you're not a threat to that person's life in that very moment, you should not be killed. And even if you are, because here's the thing that we're learning, black people just off of the virtue of their skin color color are deemed a threat, regardless of how old they are. Tamir yeah. Rice was a 12-year-old, and the police officer called him a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old. Same thing happened with, Tra with uh, Trayvon Martin. And it's like, this cannot continue to happen and have people justify it. At some point, we need to start looking at those people justifying it and questioning their humanity, because that's where the issue lies. And it's so sad hearing Fred Van Vliet. It's so sad hearing Doc Rivers. It's so sad hearing these people continue to talk about, like, do you guys not value my life? And if you value them as entertainers and you're a fan of the sport and you enjoy cheering for Jalen Brown, you enjoy cheering for Donovan Mitchell, and yes, I'm picking Boston and Utah fan bases, whatever. Um, but if you enjoy cheering for these guys, please value their humanity because they're people before they're ever players. And it's so frustrating to continue to see people defend them. Like beyond the murders, which we can talk about because that's obviously so much bigger watching millions of people defend it because it's not just trolls on Twitter. Absolutely. It's literally millions of people where... It's legislators. It's the president of the United where States. Where the fuck it's, is your humanity? Like, how is that not evil? I think you raised such a good point, Iman. I think this whole situation, out of everything else that's so horrible about it, one of the other horrible things is that it makes you realize that people, some people just suck. Yeah. Like, people are just, some people yeah. are just horrible. Like, and there's nothing you can do about it. These people in the comment section. But I think that goes to, like, a bigger thing. Doesn't that go to a bigger thing? Because it's like, that many people cannot just be horrible. Like, I, and I, I'm going to just be honest. Like, like I, I understand that I'm talking, like, a kumbaya type of stuff. But I genuinely believe that, like, okay, sure, there are some people who were born bad. We know that Ted Bundy existed, right? Like, but that many people cannot be that horrible. So what in our system, because there's a bigger issue here, if that many people are horrible, it's a bigger issue of si something systemic, something that's being taught, something that's being ingrained in people. And it doesn't start with police. It starts yeah. from childhood. It starts with black kids being suspended, yeah. at higher, uh, suspended at higher rates and disciplined at higher rates. It starts from a very early age. And it's something that black kids internalize at that young of an age and it's just mm -hmm. it's it's sad i think that the the thing with racism with especially in terms of black people isn't that like how are these are how are all these people horrible it's because we have to unlearn racism when we grow up like in houses that aren't black it's not about like oh we're all equal it's literally about learning that you know, you have to unlearn the black racism that we just grow up with inherently, that people just, you know, like automatically um, go sh shift towards because that's just what that's what you see in your life. That's what, that's what you see in society. That's what you see in movies and in shows and everything. So maybe the reason why we see it so prevalent is because those people who are advocating, who are not even advocating, just being trolls online, making these rude comments, they never had the luxury to unlearn whatever their predecessors couldn't get out of them. Like, it's it's a matter of, like, a huge self-reflection moment to be like, what 
how am I thinking and why am I thinking this way? And how can, and like, how is this benefiting me or a society that I'm in right now? And people literally just lack those skills. Absolutely. They don't understand that. It's an unlearn. How would I feel if this was my brother? How would I feel if this was my sister? How would I feel if this was my cousin who didn't listen to the police and got shot and killed Mm -hmm. like that? And I think that's the issue is they're not seeing themselves in these black people. They're not seeing their family members in, in, in black people. They're seeing black people who are like, there's a distance there and there's, and I think it goes to this bigger issue of segregation and not, you know, and, and we've like heard reports of like American schools being more segregated now than like back in the 1960s because of like, you know, rules that have been, um, that have expired and different things like that, where it's like, there is, and and we heard it, like I'll, I'll go back to that Bill Simmons, Ryan Russillo podcast where Ryan Russillo talked about black people as another and really saw police officers as his friends and his family. Every time that he mentioned police officers, Mm -hmm. it was, I know a bunch of police officers. I'm friends with a bunch of police officers. I worked out with a bunch of police officers. That police officer could have been my brother. That police officer could have been my cousin. And that's the issue is they see themselves within the police officers and they don't see themselves within Mm -hmm. black people because they're just seeing black people as black people and they got nothing to do with that. And that's a bigger issue. I think a lot of this is also willful ignorance. Like, you know, it exists and you refuse to acknowledge it because if you refuse, if you're a white person and you refuse to acknowledge, or even as brown people, we have a lot of privilege. If you refuse to acknowledge that there is systemic racism in education, in uh, hiring practices, if you refuse to acknowledge, or if you acknowledge it, you'll realize that you had an easier path. And for some reason, your hard work didn't mean enough. And that's just such a, like, we need to stop thinking like that because we need to start acknowledging that there are so many people that are, are having harder paths than us because it the yeah. system wasn't made for them. The system wasn't made for them. The system was made to make sure that they stayed down. The system was made to make sure that they're affected, so that they're negatively affected, that they have a certain socioeconomic class, like it's harder for them to get out of it. And so when when I hear, I know a lot of people were like trolling Kyle Lowry in the beginning because he chose education reform. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it now, how important is education reform? How important is it to reform Mm -hmm. hiring practices? How important is it for police reform? We need reform throughout Mm -hmm. North America and and that needs to start by giving black people more than one seat on the table to have these discussions. Don't use them as like a diversity token. Use them as someone that is that that you need, that you cannot function without because society's not going to function properly without inclusion of black people equitably. To to continue that, talking about media right now. It's yeah. Been awkward watching these interviews in the bubble. Every time something happens, just oh, yeah. watching these predominantly white reporters stumble over their words or ask like asinine questions to these players um, has kind of been painful to watch. And you can kind of see that players, I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel, but it kind of feels like they're just not even interested in some of these questions. And like, and even right now, just in talking about what's happening right now, because every every newsroom is, is covering this, this is the biggest story in sports. And they're continuing to bring white voices on. And here's the thing, a white reporter might be able to break down the Raptors series and talk about, you know, Pascal Siakam post-ups with you, but they're not experts in race analysis. They're not, ex- like, they've literally never lived as a no. black person. They don't know how to yeah. 
articulate these experiences. They don't know how these other NBA players are feeling because they've never felt it. So it's like, they're not your experts on this. Why are you leaning on them? Absolutely. Um, to have these conversations. We're not doing a breakdown of Pascal Siakam's game or Jason Tatum's game. That's not what's happening right now. So why are we pulling from the same voices we would use to talk about that? That's one issue. And the second one is, well, now, now if you are saying, okay, well, you know what? That's right. I'm going to go pull from Black Voices. Where, where are these Black Voices coming from? Because none of these news organizations have hired any of them. They've been constantly just pulling from white people. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, let's say you find some. Do these, like, to me, it's like you need reps at this job. You can't just, like, for the first time be on TV or for the first time mm-hmm. do a million radio hits. It's like you're not going to be as polished. You're not going to be able to feel as comfortable on it. And I don't, like, your first time should not always be talking about race. For one, black people should the, the, <laughs> black people shouldn't only get seats at the table when these are the discussions happening. You should be pulling from them at all Absolutely. times. And once again, you're just going to get better coverage because you're going to get coverage that from people who've actually practiced this job because you've called them to talk about other things as well um so there should just be more diversity on that front anyway but it it just feels so disheartening to continue to see the lack of diversity in sports media considering this is such a black league Mm -hmm. and so stark right now when this is a conversation and all we have are white reporters and white journalists to stumble over their words and talk about this in a way that I mean, we literally had Adrian Wojnarowski call Kyrie Irving the disruptor not too long ago. You know what I mean? Like, that's literally where we're coming from with this. And it's unfortunate that, um, I don't know, it's unfortunate that we're here. And NBA players are saying they're fed up and they want to make change. But I think the onus is on everybody to make change right now, not just on NBA players. I think Kayla Gray said it best um, today on TSN where she said, it's time for my white counterparts to step up. For sure. To talk to your families, to have these conversations. And, you know, we stand Kayla Gray pretty hard, but what she's saying is true. We need people to recognize their privilege, to learn and to understand that their companies and their teams need reform and need to be hiring black people, not just to talk about race, but to talk about the things that matter. There are black people that excel in these situations, but they aren't given the chance a lot of the times because Mm -hmm. the team ends up hiring an all white cast. So it's really time for people. Well, it's the time has passed for people to start looking inwards, but to actually act on what they said they're going to do. Like the NBA statement. There you go. Act on what you're saying. Should we talk about the NBA statement? You have that there, right? Smell performative up in here. (laughs) Yeah. It's been very performative, for sure, Noor. It's up up until this point, and NBA players were saying enough is enough. And yeah. honestly, like, George Hill, you have all of our love and support. Um, and NBA players, you have all of our love, uh, our love and support. Like, it. the onus shouldn't so be on much. them. But they have taken the step time and time again. And the WNBA has taken the step time and time again. We cannot overlook what Maya Moore did. Like, we've talked about her on the pod. We've talked about she her on started, the pod before. Yeah. She was our, you know, dime of the week before. This is a woman who literally at the top of her career in her prime as one of the if not the best woman basketball player in the world WNBA player in the world said I'm gonna take a step back from here because I have a bigger calling and social justice is my calling and I know that I have the one the power one the privilege to the connections to try and make something happen and she freed a man who was wrongfully convicted like they, like I mean, 
how can uh, there's just nothing nothing more than just love and support for Maya Moore and for the WNBA who I mean all like everybody like can we talk about what the Washington Mystics did did you see the t-shirts with the bullet holes on the back like how powerful was that yeah that was like it was chilling it was chilling seeing that amazing do you have the statement there yeah um so the NBA and the NBPA put out a statement and there are some statement highlights that we wanted to talk about. Um, first, the NBA has and its players have agreed to establish the Social Justice Coalition with representatives from players, coaches, and governors. They're going to focus on a broad range of issues, including increasing access to voting, promoting civ- civic engagement, and advocating for meaningful police and criminal justice reform. So that was one highlight. Now, another highlight that's super important, and a lot of people have talked about it on social media, is every city where there is a where the league. Uh, franchise franchise owns and controls the arena property the team governors will work to continue to work with local election officials to convert that specific facility into a voting location for the november 2020 general election so how do you guys feel about that it's a start it's they're going somewhere with it it's showing that you know they're using their platform for the right reasons um that the players are holding holding the owners accountable which is exactly what they need to do it's not the player's job to make sure that people understand you know black lives matter it is the owner's job because you are owning a league which runs predominantly on the backs of black athletes you need to do a better job of showing your solidarity and the fact that we have now we're getting somewhere now we're starting off it's it's a good sign but i would like to see a lot more because i know they have so much more power these owners are connected to uh, senators, legislators, bill makers, bill passers, they have so many connections that they can get to somebody in two seconds and they need to use that power. This is not the time to just be like, oh, you know what? I can I can let you put a slogan on the back of your shirt, but also I'm going to give you the pre-approved list. And if you come to me about anything else, I'm going to shut it down. That's not showing your solidarity. That's just performatism. Absolutely. And I want to make a point. Um, Yasmin made this point on Twitter. Uh, so I want to reiterate that it is huge to have facilities do voting in uh, the 2020 election because the bus system goes to the facilities. And a lot of these in low socioeconomic areas, mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of opportunity to access to voting. And having bus systems go to the facility really takes that barrier away from people who otherwise couldn't be able to vote. Um, So it is a really big deal that the facilities are being turned into voting stations or voting locations. That's a great point. Voting is very important. And, you know, it's not the be all end all, but it like Noor said, it's a great start. And I think all credit goes to Lloyd Pierce Um, and LeBron James. We know he has his voting uh, initiative in action as well. But yeah, this is a lot more than the $300 million over 10 years divided by 30 NBA teams. That's like a Chandler Parsons, Timothy Mozgov. (laughs) Jan Mahinmi contract together like I like it's like it's like all hey all 30 NBA teams are gonna split this over 10 years and pay all these guys like we see NBA owners spend crazy amounts on side players and you're really gonna tell me that that is tangible difference yes we look at the number 300 million and we're like wow that's huge and then you realize that these are billionaires that are splitting it amongst 30 of them over 10 years and you're like come on guys you guys can do more I see the contracts you're giving out to Timothy yeah. Mozgov Los Angeles Lakers you guys can do more um yeah so so I think that it, it's important and you think about like the Milwaukee Bucks like arena absolutely that was made out of taxpayer dollars you damn well better be putting that towards voting as well like you know what I mean like you're thinking about these these arenas that are coming out so this is great uh it's a good start 
there's still lots that needs to be done. And I trust the the players, which is absolutely insane to say because they're not lawmakers. They're not the people who should be making decisions um, like this. But but they've done a really great job thus far. Yeah. And we've seen how powerful they are, specifically if you look at what the Milwaukee Bucks did when the Milwaukee Bucks players were in their locker room, when we all heard that they were striking during that game, they asked the owners to take action. And Mark Lazary called the Wisconsin State House. And by nighttime, the governor was calling for a special vote on police reform. That is a big deal. The players have so much power there we go. because the owners rely on them. The owners control so much in local politics, in federal politics. 100%. And when you see the players get fed up, the owners scramble. They literally have emergency meetings the next morning, early in the morning. And they're like, we need to fix this. We need our money. So kudos to the players. Like Whatever, uh, whatever the players want to do, I support. But seeing what the Bucks did and seeing how fast owners scramble to create change because of the Bucks was pretty incredible to see. And that's something that I don't think I'll forget for a very long time. I agree. I agree. So so that was our dish segment. Um, is there anything that you guys want to add before we move on to our dime of the week? Because that was a heavy dish segment. Yeah, yeah, that was heavy. And it leads really well into the dime because my dime of the week is going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. I think they've been like, who would have thought? My dimes, my dollars of the week are the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> Who would have thought that, like, we're sitting here praising the Milwaukee Bucks, standing the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm about to make a fan cam of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. Like, they've been they've been so amazing, so spectacular. <laughs> the fact that they took that stand, um, they, they did that without knowing mm-hmm. what the consequences would be, what the repercussions would be. They just went and they did what they had to do. And then hearing more, like... That, you know, the fact that they were scrutinized, players were saying that we should have been a more on a united front, they should have had a plan. Um, that's not, that's, I don't think you need a plan when you're reacting off of your very raw emotions that are very much justified. Um, you are just acting out of emotion and you are doing what you think is right, which is exactly what they did, which is, which ended up being right. So kudos to them. Kudos to George Hill. Well, you know what? You can beat them Miami Heat and... You might have to beat you in like six or seven instead of four this time. (laughs) I also, I think we should mention that Sterling Brown, who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, had an altercation with uh, Wisconsin police not too long ago. I think it was in 2018, um, where he had been parking in a handicapped spot in the middle of the night, like one or two o'clock in the morning, went to a Walgreens and got tackled by police officers and tased and charged with resisting arrest. But of course, charges were dropped and he is famous, right? He, he's a famous basketball player. He has resources and means that other people do not have in, in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. And we're seeing, you know, an aggressive police force that clearly, um, I mean, we, we saw what happened with the with the seventeen year old shooting with the seventeen year old shooter, and you're comparing that to the way that the Kenosha and Wisconsin and Milwaukee Police Department treat black people is you know it's unfortunate, but it's real, and we need to be discussing it. It was very personal for Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and I, it was very personal for the Raptors too with Masai Ujiri, mm-hmm. and you could feel it on the players. And I think they just they just knew they had to take a stand, and it's just a very powerful thing to see and. How inspiring to see them take that lead. And for Adam Silver, we're still waiting on that apology to Masai Ujiri because you, yes, you definitely need to give him He's one. He's not your dime of the week, I'm going to guess. 
Adam Silver, Lord Voldemort, get out of my... F- I'm done with him. I'm done with him. <laughs> so who is your Dime of the Week, Sidra? My Dime of the Week is George Hill. He's incredible. He is so strong and inspiring. And there was this whole thing of, oh, he's not even coming outside for the anthem. And he said, I was busy taking a shit. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> and he's just done with it. He's done with performative actions. He's done with it all. He wants to see real change. And a lot of these players do, but he's been so vocal about it that I stand forever. So I love that. Props to you, George Hill. My dime of the week is a Plumley himself. Aww. Who would think I would be in this space? <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I, I think it was Jalen Brown who, who um, mentioned in an interview um, that he heard Mason Plumley looking at himself in the mirror and just kind of giving himself words of affirmation. And we forget that these guys, not only dealing with the weight of the world and social justice on their shoulders, they've been isolated from their families and they're in such a strange place right now, you know, with with COVID and destruction all around them in the outside world. They've been thrown into the space where um, there's a lot of pressure. All eyes are on them at all times of the day. And they have been away from their family and friends and are completely isolated. And Mason Pumley was giving himself words of affirmation, you know, reminding himself that he loves basketball and that he's excited to go play. And that, you know, kind of hurt because it puts them, it yeah. puts everything into perspective. You realize that, like, they're not players. Like, they're, they're, they're doing so much right now and we just want to congratulate them. But, like, these are young men. They're, they're humans and they're in such a weird space right now. And there's so much pressure on them. And they're completely isolated from everybody that they love and it just like put all of that into perspective and so I hope he's doing well you're my dime of the week <laughs> that was so sad I know I, when I heard Jill and say that I was like oh my god she's like heart. really going through it yeah I can't I can't slander anyone like I can't slander anyone on any other team I just feel like it's so wrong to the point where now I think like we should have a roster on the side of just like fan base so you can just pick apart the fan base instead, like just go hard at the fan base, <laughs> so you don't have to go at the players. Like I don't mind beefing the fan base. Can I slander you as a player, but love you as a person? <laughs> yeah, basically. Let's try, let's try that. With or all just, due respect, Chris Middleton. <laughs> do you mind? Or just go on Twitter and take a fight with like another Celtics fan or something like that. Like just to create that momentum and have something to slander. I just go wrong. <laughs> I'll get suspended again. I can't do that. Oh, I'm like so close to it. So we are going long, but we do have some questions. We asked for them and we got a bunch. Should we start with them? Are you guys ready for some questions? Let's do it. For, for the dime bag. We've, we've done the dish segment. We've done the dime of the week. We're heading into the dime bag. First question comes from VTech Poppy, who says, Hi, longtime listener, first time caller to the show. You're not calling in. You are tweeting in, buddy boo. Um, why do the Raptors <laughs> like to torture us? Are they finished? Are we the most fraudulent team in the playoffs? I'll hang up and listen. Once again, you're not calling. You are tweeting in. And I already told you guys, the Raptors are not toast. It's not the Toronto Rap Toast. Um, they, they will live to fight another day. VTech sounds delusional. <laughs> VTech is always negative. Though. First of all, he's calling in. VTech, you're on a keyboard. Second of all, no, we're not toast. Isn't VTech like a phone company too? So maybe that's why he's confused. <laughs> I think it's like a Honda thing because he's obsessed with cars. Yeah, or I think with like if there's an H at the end of VTech, I think it's like a phone thing. And then without oh. the H, it's like a car thing, I'm sure. <laughs> All I know is that the Raptors like to torture us because once again, they've lived in Toronto for a very long time. And as Toronto men do torture us, um, <laughs> 
that's just there's you the know way of just, the world. They're just following your lead, Mohammed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Kate at KB Doll, we love you, Kate, says Boston is known for baked beans. Toronto's known for beef patties and curry roti. Please discuss. What the fuck are baked beans? <laughs> there we go. We've discussed. You know, Next like, question. We're sad. We're sad and we go home to like great food and they go home to baked beans. Like, why would you bake your... I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. Dakota Schmidt. We love you, Dakota Schmidt. Asks, could you all try to do your best impression of coach of the year, Nick Nurse? So, um, you know, I tweeted out that we were going to have a half hour of Sidra doing impressions with me and Noor guessing um, who she's impersonating. So Dakota wants you to do your best impression of Coach of the Year, Nick Nurse. I, I don't know if you guys could, like, I feel like I have to do like facial expressions, but yeah, maybe one day when we do like a video pod, I can do yeah, like facial expressions. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's just the gif from the Orlando Magic series yeah, last year. Yeah, I'm like getting a massage from Noor <laughs> and <laughs> laughing. <laughs> he like strokes his like beard a lot too, like the side of, he has no beard, but you know, like the side of his Or you gotta be and, like, squatting. Looks incredible. Just start squatting and that's it. Oh yeah, just start squatting. I was just gonna say, he looks like, like when you have to go back home to like your home country and you just have to use one of those like floor toilets that's what he does you're saying he looks like he eats a lot of baked beans before you even started that sentence i knew where you were going (laughs) (laughs) all right so nasim ali i'm just gonna say i love you to everyone who who's written we love you all i'm not gonna continue doing it for each person um has there ever been a city and a fan base less deserving of its star players than boston literally no so basically wait time out we're saying that boston deserves paul pierce or not yes. deserves Paul Pierce because you guys all said no. Paul so Pierce are, are and Boston deserve each home? other. Okay, they deserve Paul Pierce. They deserve his nasty drawers when they had shit on them. <laughs> they deserve it all. Okay, <laughs> all right, but they don't deserve Jalen Brown, is what I'm getting. No, I love Jalen. So We're much. kidnapping Jalen Brown. I don't care. He's coming Honestly, back on Jaylen, the plane. If you want to just come back with the team, Jalen? We got we got Muslim girls here. Okay, just like come back with the team. You know, you'll be safe up here. So young at underscore Sahara at long master wolf asks, do you think having my wife do a witch ritual slash spell for next game is excessive? Absolutely not. Do anything. Do, do anything. Do, do anything to, to help. Anything. Um, provided there's no blood sacrifice. I don't care. Do it. As long as we're not sacrificing children or animals. <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, well, no, okay, no. Okay. You, didn't make, you didn't finish that part before I said no. Okay. Ima, now I look like a child murderer. No, don't kill yeah. kids. <laughs> But like, but like, just get blood. But like, don't tell me where you got it, and do what you gotta do. Just crazy. (laughs) Drew Patterson at Mo Downtown says, "Should Surge start the rest of the series?" No, but Norman Powell should. Sorry, continue. What was the question? Sorry, what? I was gonna say, yeah, FVB or or Norm. There we go. Are we all on Team Start Norm? Have we just waited all along for everybody to come on my side of this? Start Norm and Powell. All right, so Azzy Anti Fascist Black Lives Matter Defund Police at Azzy One asks Love your name. Love it. I'm finding it hard to care about basketball. Is it the same for you guys? He's asking. Um, honestly, yes. Um, and I'll just be like super frank with you guys. I feel like as a non-black person, I'm finding it really hard to care about basketball and tweet about basketball. It just seems, I feel like there is a part of privilege that is coming with my like ability to watch basketball right now and find joy in it that I'm feeling pretty guilty about. Um, 
So it is really hard to care right now because I always feel like I should be doing more and should be actually acting on the things that I believe in. Um, and I sometimes I feel like when I'm tweeting about basketball, I, I kind of get lost in that. So yes, I'm finding it very hard to care about basketball at this moment. I completely echo what Sidra said um, as another brown woman in this pod. I also feel like I just feel really guilty. I don't feel like I have the right to even like enjoy basketball, let alone tweet about it or anything. And I know it might like come across different, but um, I think that like Sidra said, it just feels like I should be doing a lot more than what I'm doing. And then you know, than to just sit here and watch these men who are fighting for their equality, for their rights, for everything. Um, and on top of that, being in a bubble, being being isolated, being secluded. And I just feel wrong taking in their entertainment and just using it for my for my happiness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like it's it's not authentic. Well, it is authentic because I love them and I love the I love basketball, but I just feel like it's not my place. And I should be doing a lot more in order to feel like I deserve watching basketball right now. Yeah. I think what we could all sort of leave with is if you enjoy these men and women as entertainers, please value their humanity as well. They're people first. Absolutely. And um, with that, I think we've come to the end of our episode, ladies. We said it would be 30 (laughs) minutes and probably at like two hours right now. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Dishes and Dimes. We know that the topics are heavy, but they are necessary. We, unfortunately, have to keep having these conversations about Boston and Toronto because the series is probably going to go on very long. I'm kidding. But uh, once again, my name is Iman, and I was joined by both Sidra and Noor. And we all ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and check out our Twitter account at Dish Dimes Pod. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye.